Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dash.Insider, where we are pioneering prosperity and helping you to become a better investor so that you can live a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we talk with a really cool guy. Kind of sounded old when I said that. Real cool guy. Anyway, he is cool. I think he's great. So his name's Ashwin, or Ash. Um, he's a property value. He's 25 years old. He's a property valuer. He's got two investment properties under his belt. He's wise beyond his years, really great insights healthfully skeptical enough such that he can really derive great insights around his journey as well. And he's got some great advice and great insights for anyone who's looking to start or grow their property investment portfolio. So if that is you, if you are someone who's thinking about investing and wants to hear how somebody else is doing it and wants to hear their success, then this is an episode for you. So wherever you're watching this, uh, make sure that you subscribe. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. If you're on Spotify or something and you're listening to this, subscribe. If you're somewhere with it, you can rate and review, do that. If there's a comment section, leave us a comment. Tippity tappity, type it on the keyboard, leave us a comment. And make sure you share this with a friend, family member, or loved one, because this could help them to change their life, which is what we want to do. We can't do that without you. So on that note, let's get stuck right into it. I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to Dash.Insider. Joining me on today's show is Ash Sinner. Now, Ash... It's quite unique. He's 25. He's got a couple of properties under his belt, but he's also a property valuer. So I'm super excited to get into uh, into this episode and find out a lot more about all of this kind of stuff and about Ash's investment journey and everything. But Ash, how are you? Nice to have you on the show. Very good. Thanks, Goose. I appreciate you having me on. Been following the show for a little while now, so it'd be great to get stuck into it. Perfect. Well, uh, no pressure then, but let's try and make this the best uh, the best episode so far. How's that sound? <laughs> Done. 100%. Awesome. Okay, perfect. So, Ash, um, I did mention just then that you're a property value. I'd love to get into that in a little in a little bit, right? But when it, you're, you're 25. You've got two properties under your belt. That's yep. unusual. When I was 25, I was drinking, traveling. Uh, I was like, you know, I was kind of one of those early 20s people that I was like, you know, live every life in the moment because you never know, whatever. Yeah. I wasn't thinking about the future at all. Sure. What? What compelled you to go on a journey to get two properties um, by by the time you're 25? Like, how did it, tell me a little bit about how that story unfolded? What drove that? Sure. I mean, well, first thing I'll practice it is like uh, it's not that I don't do all of those things you mentioned as well. You know, um, I, I believe that there's no reason you can't have both. Um, so I, I wouldn't feel like I'm uh, sacrificing my lifestyle to be where I'm at right now. But to answer your question, uh, I guess I've always had an interest in property from young. I guess that stems from. Just being surrounded by, like my dad used to take me to local auctions just to um, see what was going on in the area. And my parents always sort of believed in in property as a good long-term asset. And so that sort of laid the fundamentals into my interest in it. From a young age, I guess I wanted to be involved in the in the property industry uh, when I had a career going on a bit later in life. And I did realize early on I didn't want to be a real estate agent. So Going through university and all that, I um, discovered sort of property valuation to be uh, what I had a bit of a passion for and always found it interesting. And yeah, I always had an intention of investing in property. It's honestly been a goal of mine since I was a child, if I'm being completely honest. I guess it stems from my family, like I mentioned. Um, it's I always wanted to own my own home, but before that, I was always thinking I wanted to own an investment property as soon as possible. Um, I just had that in the back of my mind that it would be a safe investment that I know just looking at the history that it's going to grow, especially but, but, over, but, let me but, say at that time. But you said you started thinking about this at a young age, right? 
How young? How how young I did mean, you just you want to buy this? T- like sort of like twelve around there. Probably a bit unusual, I would say. But again, I I have older siblings, and my parents are yeah have always sort of instilled that in me. I find that really interesting for a couple of reasons. Because you're 12 okay. years old and you're thinking about the concept of investing. That is an unusual concept. Like, and I know that you mentioned your your family there and stuff, but I'd love to kind of, like, how was that landing? Or was it just a, did you did you genuinely understand the concept? Or was I it because, I, I did. because of I the interest was... of your family, you would just like carried that interest forward? You said, they're interested in this kind Correct. of stuff. I'll be interested in this kind of stuff. Okay, cool. Correct. Got it. Yep. So yeah, so it's not okay. like I'm some, you know, whiz kid. I don't want to say that anything like that at all. Not, not in the slightest, but- it was just you something say you're that I was interested in. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just something that I had in as a goal of mine. Did I really know why? Probably not until I, you know, developed and became a bit older. But when I started saving, you know, I started working when I was 10 doing the paper route and 14 high school, I had three jobs, you know, so I was always working and saving. And the goal for me was not to travel, like travel or do all these other things. Like my goal for saving was to purchase a property. So, cool. I guess it started early on. Obviously, cash sat in the bank for a, a long time, probably too long. But yeah, eventually got there. And why didn't you want to become a sales agent? Why did you realize that wasn't the path so, you wanted to take? I guess I was just by looking through how the interactions that I had, maybe it was a bit swayed as I was growing up, you know, what my perspective of was it, what was of it. But I guess I just perceived them to be not the most genuine. So, yeah, it wasn't really my... Uh, cup of tea. So, man, yeah, it's interesting, right? Because real estate sales agents don't have a great reputation. Yeah, let's be real. About that. <laughs> Obviously, having they worked do. with um, ag- agents a lot more now, especially in my career and everything, it's a whole different perspective. But yeah, that's why I didn't lead into that career. I thought about it definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super, super interesting. Yeah, it's like th- I know that a lot of real estate sales agents get into real estate because they actually genuinely love real estate and also want to help people. But it, yeah, there's definitely a reputation piece there. So yeah, unfortunately. Okay, so twelve years old, you're like, I'm going to be an investor. I'm going to go buy property, right? Obviously, not buying property at that stage. You work, you save money. You know that you want to have a career and a future in property. What? How old were you when you bought your first property? Just before I turned twenty-four. Just before you turned 24. Did we, did Actually, Dashdot no, help you buy? I was 24, 24, sorry. Yep. Okay. So you've got two properties that you've purchased with Dashdot. Are they the only two properties you've gotten? Yes. Yep. Okay. 24. So that is a, that's a 12 year dream. You hung onto the dream for 12 years. What stopped you from getting started earlier? Where was that? What was the friction point? Because you, you're someone who's surrounded by property people. You've got a passion for property. You want to pursue a career in property. You're like living it and breathing it. You're like a, like you're committed. What yeah. what what stopped you from taking action by yourself? Why did it take you until you were twenty four? And and I'm interested because that'll kind of then also unpack why you then sought help to do it. So I'm understood. One, I understand what sure. the road, why, why was what was the roadblock? It's a great question. I mean, there's a whole lot of factors there. Um, I guess the number one thing is um, I had the it had it in my mind that obviously I'm still young. I guess I don't. It's not like an pressing matter. So I guess I didn't have a sense of urgency towards it. The main thing is obviously the barrier to entry. And so just a bit of background, I live in, in Melbourne, Victoria. Um, so as you would know, living in or having lived in New South Wales, New South Wales and Victoria, the markets are pretty uh, interesting, I would say. And it's a, 
as a young person, what you fed I think, from the I think news you spelled the media. expensive wrong, Dan. I think yeah. you spelled it expensive. <laughs> That's what yeah. I'm getting at. Um, but yeah, as a younger person, you feel like with all the media attention and everything you get told is it's going to be a bit difficult. And I guess I got sucked into that a little bit. Be able to pursue this dream, but it might be towards my late 20s that I'll be able to actually go and get something I wanted. Other sort of factor, I guess, was definitely the lending piece. And speaking to a broker really changed my life. So I'll give credit to Chris from um, Unconditional Finance there. Really just changed my whole perspective on lending because I've sort of banked with CBA, a big bank, my whole life. I even worked for CBA at a point um, during uni. So I was always sort of committed to them. And when I spoke to a lender, I think when I started to get serious about it was when I was about 23. I was like, okay, let me go see what I can get from the bank. Like, what what's going on here? You know, my, my income's probably not the best, but I've got a, a sizable deposit, but let's just start from there. And sort of what I got back from there was a bit off-putting, I guess, you know, especially being in the Victorian market and well, looking for it. It was like, okay, my options are really limited, you know, with what, what I can get here. And so... Yeah, at that same point in time in my life, I was also, uh, so I'll preface that I, I live at home and that's a big benefit, of course, um, for lowering expenses. And at that time, I was also thinking maybe I'll just buy a PPOR. Maybe I'll shift my focus and do that. Decided not to do that and just sat on my hands for a while. Um, why did, why did you decide not to do that? Because uh, yeah, I was actually about to ask you about that before you said that you nearly did it because because that's kind of where a lot of young people go. They're like, oh, well, what should I? I'll just buy a home. I'll buy a home to live in. So yep. you had that thought too. What Definitely what happened that to that thought? What, what was it? Tell me about it. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so I guess I just pulled myself back in terms of the mindset. I mean, I was obviously one of my parents, a bit of friction, things like that. And so maybe at that point I was like, okay, maybe I'll really consider, you know, just getting my own place. I'll shift off the investment, put that on the back burner, unfortunately. Just move out so I can have some freedom, right? And of course, a lot of young people would definitely understand that, right? After a couple of months, attended auctions and things like that. After I'd seen that lender from CBA and I was like, okay, my, my purchasing power is not great here. You know, obviously I'd want to live close to my family and things like that. But what I can get around here is not great, even from a PPOR perspective. And so after a couple of months, I was like, do I really need to do this? Um, and what do I really want for the future? What do I want for my goals? And that's why I really started to get serious about it when I was um, close to 24. And I was like, okay, if I can stay at home, this is a huge advantage. I know I have so many mates and, and know so many people that don't have that luxury and aren't fortunate enough to be able to live at home, you know. And the board that I pay is so minimal compared out to the market rent. So I thought, okay, maybe I should actually utilize this because I'm only going to have this for you know, my twenties or however long, let's, let's make the most of it. And I don't know my parents are supporting that they're happy to have me at home. So that's when I shifted the focus and that's what led me to end, end up talking to Chris. And, uh, yeah, that opened a whole new, a whole, yeah, a whole different ballgame when there was options with blending. So all those sort of problems, uh, turned into a solution in a way. Man. Yeah. That's super interesting. What was your, if you go back to when you were like, let's say 22, right? Okay. Let's say 22. Because you really got serious about investing in tw uh, when you were like 23. You, you went through all this kind of like, all right, should I buy a PPR? Uh, how am I going to, where am I going to buy? What, how's my borrowing? What was your vision? What was your kind of like vision of the future when you were 22 before you got serious about 
uh, property investing. Like, what did was you it, see? Wasn't thinking about property, if that's what you mean. Like, like it was on the back. I just mean, yeah. Just... Like, like, did you have like, what was your? Did you have any goals or aspirations for your future, or were you just thinking like, what does uh, the road like? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, to that point, I was sort of doing what you talked about before: just the drinking, partying, uh, traveling, and the good um, life. Hey? Uh, the, the main, yeah, living life like that, um, <laughs> and more focused on uni. I think that was my focus yeah. then. Was like, okay, I got to try and get my career going. Um, and while whilst that's all happening, I'm still saving money. So, yeah, of course, I, that was always happening. But it's just uh, my money wasn't doing anything. Cash is sitting in the bank, uh, yeah, not doing much at all. So, yeah, that's what I was focused on. I, I knew I still wanted to buy property, but it wasn't like a main goal. Yeah. Okay. And so, okay, so you didn't really have a clear picture. Then you went and uh, then you sort of like, what was the what was the catalyst then? Like, what was the catalyst that actually made you say, "I've got to take this seriously"? Yeah. Well, as I said, like uh, the start of like it was probably like twenty twenty one Jan. I remember seeing the lender and what sort of catalyst was like. Okay, my I'm progressing here. Uni's pretty much nearly over. I'm, I'm going to be fine with a career like uh, that. That sort of things was was starting to pan out a bit more, and so I was like, okay, what what's next? Like now that my career side of things is a bit uh, under control, yeah. let's see what's going on. But at that same time, that's when you know I was thinking maybe I'll move out. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Yep. And then you decided to stay, live at home, capitalize on the borrowing capacity, build Best your property decision. portfolio, yep. become a real estate mogul. Keep eating mum and dad's food while you're doing that. And then 100%. once once you're financially free, then you can move out on your own and your mum and dad can like get the house back, basically. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what's happening. Um, what cool. I would say is like, yeah, to, to all you know, any listeners out there or viewers that are you know younger in age, like if you have that option, 100% take it. If your family are supportive, even if you're living out of home now, and you can still have the option to move back, and you find that you know rental bills like piling up, and you're finding it hard to increase your savings rate. I would say definitely consider it because it's definitely changed the whole landscape of how my investment journey and my life's gone really in the past couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it's huge, isn't it? It's huge, and I think a lot of people um, don't give that enough credence um, sure. into just how transformative that can be. Particularly, look, you say young person, but realistically, like. Anyone could do it. So if yeah, someone was severely, yeah, you know, someone could be th- 35, they could be 40, you know, and when you really think about the the quantum of what it is you're trying to achieve, let's just kind of like, it, from the context that you're talking about it, like, hey, I'm in my early to mid 20s. Yeah, yeah, I can stay at home a little longer and that's going to give me a benefit. But like, then flip, flip the script a little bit and then say, what if you're 40 years old, right? What if you're 40 years old and you've realized that uh, for whatever reason, you're not where you want to be in life and you've realized that in order to get to that place you want to be in life, you're going to have to make some big decisions about building wealth and your borrowing capacity is constrained for a variety of reasons and all that kind of stuff. Like, How could you think about that in that context? If you have a good relationship with your family and all of that kind of stuff, that door could be open and you don't need to do it forever, but you can do it enough Definitely. to get a start. And so that's a delayed gratification piece and it's a really interesting thing that you've kind of brought up because- you know, everyone has a vision. I'm going to move out. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to do this stuff. And yeah. that's why most people don't get started in investing because they stuff their borrowing capacity. It's too hard. And they go, I can't do it. They put it off. Then they end up at 40, not knowing how to get out of where they're at. So if you can kind of yeah. delay that yeah. kind of that independence gratification piece a little bit, 
or you know, think about it as a way of your parents co-investing with you. They might not actually be putting in any cash, right? But you could effectively say, hey, I need a partner. I need a partner on this journey. I need a co-investor. And the investment that I need from you is I need some freaking room. To s- I need somewhere to sleep. <laughs> I need an address. That's what I need from you as a co-investor. And, they can- and if you think about it like that, it kind of changes the context around it rather than like, oh, still living at home. It's like, no, no, it's an investment strategy. And this is, this is what my part- the-, the equity that my partner's putting up. So it's pretty cool. That is very cool. I agree. Yeah. So I think, I don't think enough people think about how all of this is relationships and partnerships. Like even getting a loan from the bank, you're effectively, you're going into business with them. You're saying, I, there's an asset that I want to purchase, whether it be a piece of real estate or a business or a whatever, there's an asset that I want to purchase. I don't have enough capital for it. And I'm looking for a partner. Will you be my partner? Will you put some cash into this? And you know what I'm going to give you? I'm going to give you a return on that capital. That's what I'm going to do for you, my business partner. And you can kind of flip that around however you want. But you also became a, a property valuer. When did, when did that happen? Before you started investing, you, that was what you're doing at uni. Talk, talk to me about that. Yeah. So at uni, I, I did a double degree in um, commerce. That side of it majored in accounting and other side was property and real estate. Sort of accounting was just a bit of a strength of mine. Not really was it. Well, I was never considering actually going into it. Yeah. So that's where my focus sort of turned towards uh, property valuation and development. So I'm definitely still interested in property development, but that might be something to look into later down the track. And yeah, sort of was a grad for about a year or so. And then around this similar time, like 2021-ish, and then, yeah, moved through being a qualified um, residential property value. And yeah, that's where I'm at now. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to make a statement and then you can tell me how you feel about that statement. Okay. Most property values, Most property valuers are just making it up. Is that a fair statement, do you think? Because I see property valuers, no disrespect if someone's watching to this, watching this or listening to this and they're a property valuer. I've seen, I've seen the same property valuer give different values to the same property and I've seen different property valuers give different values to the same property. That tells me that there's not, it's not a very scientific method. Can you give me some insights into like how that happens or, you know, like, can you share some insight on that? That'd be really interesting. Sure. I mean, I guess that's your opinion and maybe a lot of people's opinion on it, but- <laughs> From my perspective, when I'm doing evaluation, and look, I can't speak for other valuers, right? I can speak for myself, how I was trained, how I learned through uni, how I got qualified, all, all of that, that it's there is like methodologies behind it. I'm sure a lot of people just look at the the valve and they don't look at the report or any of the information inside there, but uh, that's fine. <laughs> but essentially, we do break it down. And in, in residential, look, there's, there's sort of three methods, but the two main ones... Obviously, direct market comparison, as you would know, that's mainly what you're dealing with because there's literally sales, whether they're settled or unsettled, agents advised in the market at the time, in the local market. And basically, when you're comparing like for like, obviously, there's going to be differences and you make adjustments based on those. And those are made on a informed basis. And the way I say that is, for example, if you're looking at some established properties, One's been, you know, fully renovated. The other one's maybe been partially renovated. When we're doing physical inspections, and that's the importance of it, I can't speak for desktop valuations. Desktop valuations are very just willy-nilly. Whether they're automated or even if a valuer is doing it, it's like done in five minutes. So, you know, I wouldn't, uh, I can't really speak on the accuracy of those, but if we're doing like a a full valuation, short form, long form, then when we do those inspections, 
what we're looking at there is very important. And with those renovations, like I mentioned in that example, we also look through building contracts. We do a lot of work with new builds. Um, and so we're seeing on a day-to-day basis, looking through documents with specifications, doing those inspections, we can see on like a sort of uh, rate per square meter basis what sort of the difference is between a lower quality, like lower spec uh, renovation and higher spec renovation. And those sort of things do make a difference. And that's how we do make adjustments based on those. So yeah, there's a lot of thought that I can, well, I can speak, speak about forever, to be honest with you. But I do believe there's a methodology behind it. And if you were to come and ask me about it, how did you get this valuation? I can detail you, like go through the report with you and show you what I've done, how I've done it. Obviously, no one has time to do anything like that. But I believe there is a, a method to it, obviously. Okay. What are some what, what are some common kind of property valuation myths that you see out there then? Talk to me about that. Common myths? Uh, that's a good question. I guess um, a lot of people think that there is like contracts of sales. All right, let's talk about that. So a lot of people just assume a value is going to adopt the contract of sale valuation. Not necessarily true. It's not a, it's not a guarantee by any means because when we get instructed to complete a valuation, especially for mortgage security purposes, we're doing it based on market value, irrespective of what the contract price is. Whether that's above or below market value, the value is going to adopt what the market value is. Regardless of what a, a position that's going to put you know, the purchaser or vendor or whoever in, uh, because at the end of the day, we're not considering those factors. We're doing evaluation on the property. And so I think a lot of people get caught out by that, especially people who have maybe paid a bit too, a bit too much, a bit above market value. Under market value, I'm not sure what the consequences are. I don't think it's really that bad. You know, if you're selling a mum's selling it to their child or something like that, it's, it's usually fine. If you've uh, valued it above market value, I don't think the bank has a problem with that, to my knowledge. But it's more so, you know, when it's the other way around and then, the you know, the purchaser's got to come up with the extra capital and that becomes a problem. But at the end of the day, people do just assume it's going to go through, but it's not necessarily the case. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, right? Because rarely, like I, I don't actually think I can remember a time specifically. If let's say that property that you purchase, let's say the purchase price is four hundred thousand dollars, but let's say the market value is okay. four fifty. Sure. Very. Re- I don't think I can't actually recall a time where I've seen the valuation actually come back at four fifty. The valuation will always come back at contract price. Contract sure. price or below, but not contract price or above. <laughs> See, so uh, well, I can speak on what, what I've done, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, how I operate. Um, but that's that's how it should be done. Um, I think, yeah, look, it's if it's a difference of a, a very small amount and it's like, okay, that's within the acceptable market range, maybe, I mean, 450, 400 to 450 within that small amount, that's, that's a bit different. But if it's, you know, the difference of, Ten thousand, and uh, you know, it's a million dollars and a million and ten. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, it's it's acceptable to accept but that yes, contract yeah, price yeah. and adopt it. So, yeah. fair yeah. enough. Though. I mean, that's yeah, your perspective on it. It doesn't happen often. I'll admit that. But you know, I've just done some off the plan purchases, for example, and you know, they've signed the contract three years ago, recently, uh, and it's like, okay, that, there's been a, some growth in market value there. I'm not going to just adopt the contract price because that's not where the market would view it as mm, mm. you recently did a portfolio growth plan as well didn't you yeah yeah did. Talk, talk to me about that how how much has that helped to shape 
your perspective on your future and what does that look like for you now? To be completely honest with you, I was a little bit skeptical about the idea because I just wasn't sure. I mean, to me, projections are always a bit, you know, especially long-term projections, anything can happen kind of thing. But I was definitely pleasantly surprised, I must admit. Um, reason being is I've always had, I guess, as of recently, when I've started my investment journey, I've uh, had that sort of baseline goal. A lot of people obviously talk to that, talk about the benchmarks of 100K passive income. And so I thought about it and... I was like, okay, this is great and all, having this goal, but what does it really mean? It's just words and a piece of paper, right? And so that's where the portfolio growth plan sort of came in and gave me a little bit of a, a roadmap, you know, actually giving you a bit of um, uh, substance to your vision. And so that's why I thought it was really, really interesting because um, I did one with Cam and, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty thorough. Like we went through you know, put the two current properties that I've already got in there and sort of seeing all the numbers, the graphs, the stats are really, really interesting, showing where you can actually go with it um, rather than just having that goal and just hoping it works out. You know, it's, it's much better to have a bit of an idea and a roadmap. At least you have something to follow and it's something that you can update at any point, which is great. So that's what I liked about it, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because And I really value your perspective on it because... And uh, thanks, by the way, for participating in my um, uh, antagonistic approach on uh, valuation. It's good to get your perspective. But what's interesting as well is like you're obviously you're obviously someone who's really in property, right? You're looking at markets, you're valuing properties, you're doing all of this kind of stuff. You're numbers driven, you're analytical, all of this kind of stuff, right? So you're not really. It seems like you're pretty grounded and probably respectfully like a little skeptical, like by nature, to be questioning. Okay, like is this really like is this does this really make sense? Which is great right in your in your line of work so the fact that you have got a plan we're skeptical and now go okay now this actually this plan looks like it this actually plan looks like it actually works that's a really that's a really interesting insight has that like what were your goals before doing the portfolio growth plan and then how do you feel about your goals after like did that kind of change any perspective like i know you said it's made it feel more tangible or so you said something along those lines yeah um but did it kind of like, was there any other kind of shift? Was it just like, I have my goal. Okay, now I can see how I can get to my goal. Good, box ticked, feels tangible. Or did it actually give you a perspective shift around what's possible or what's required to get there or how you might be able to, you know, took, you know any other kind of elements around that? Sure. I mean, first of all, I'd say it was a fair statement to say that I'm naturally a bit skeptical about um, these sort of things. But yeah, to answer your question, it's a, it's a mix of both. So, of course, the first thing that was important to me was seeing that it was tangible, like you mentioned. And the second thing, there was definitely a shift in my mindset because I had that goal and it was like, to me, I was like, okay, how long is it going to take? I don't know. I hope I get there in my lifetime, you know, but uh, hopefully as early as possible, obviously. But now having this there to actually look at, I'm like, okay, if, you know, this was like a 15 year plan and of course things could change. It could be better, maybe a bit worse. It depends on life circumstances, but, you know, getting there by 40 to me, I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. You know, so really thinking about it, I was like, okay, this is a bit of a mindset shift. It's like, okay, I can really do this now. Like, this is definitely a realistic goal. And yeah, I can see what the pathways could be. And 15 years may just fly by. It's not really a whole lot of time when you really think about it. Of course, a lot of life milestones won't happen along the way, but there's still a lot ahead after that point. And so that's what I found pretty exciting about it. I was like, okay, this is... This is good. And then shifted my mindset. I was like thinking a bit more positively. I'm like, this goal is great. 
I could maybe even extend this goal when the time's right. I could be like, okay, I could move even further than that onto the next thing. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so true. Like 15 years can simultaneously feel like a long time. Uh, you, when you yeah, said 40, right? When you said when you said hit your goal by 40, there was a piece in my mind that I was like, 40? That seems like far away from, from, where, from where you it are does. now. But it doesn't. It's same. Uh, but then when you said, but then when you said fifteen years, I was like, "Cool, that's pretty quick. To, that's pretty quick. Like that is pretty good. That's super interesting. I don't think enough people give that enough credit. But the thing about that as well is that the transformation happens before you get to the end. <laughs> like you, you, it's not like when I'm forty and I've hit my goals in fifteen years, that will be some kind of like champagne popping celebration moment. Yeah. What is what is far more likely to happen and may have already happened for you, and you can tell me if this is the case is that a transformation takes place when you know that you have made really powerful decisions that are going to set you up for your future no matter what happens. Now, some, for some people, that happens at two properties. More commonly, it's around about four properties. I see it happen where suddenly people go, Bing! huh, wow, okay, I've done the thing. I've done something I didn't think was possible. And now, kind of, I can get to go and do what I want with my life without having to think about like, oh my God, am I going to be trapped in this kind of construct? Uh, for the rest of the day. Has that, ha- has that shift happened for you yet? Yes. I would say it has. And, for, I, you know, I, I have to pull myself back a bit because I think sometimes when I think like that, I'm like, I don't want to get complacent and I don't want to think like you know, I'm some hero because I'm definitely not, right? It's just I'm on the right track. But I'm, I think it's a good thing to remind yourself of that. And I, I think I think I have had that. I'm like, okay, now that I've done this, I feel like the hardest part and I've overcome that sort of hurdle where it's like just breaking into the market, seeing what's happened, and then obviously getting depression is the second property within, you know, like an eight month period, both of them. I was like, wow, this is this is really, really something special. So I'm like, okay, where can I go to from here? Now I, I know whatever happens, I, I believe I'm going to be okay. And I, that's where I'm like, okay, um, what else can I do in the future? And that's what I was talking about before when maybe my goals will adjust because I'm like, okay. I think I'm I'm really going to get there um, without trying to be, you know, cocky about it. I'm like, okay, in the meantime, it's naturally, it should progress barring any, you know, unfortunate events. So, yeah, I'm like, yeah, this, this is something really cool. So, I feel like I have had that shift and it was after the second one. The first one, I was like, okay, this is really cool. I've bought one. Um, but when the second one, sort of the end of the process settlement happened, I was like, oh, Okay, cool. And then when the rental started coming in and things were running smoothly, I was like, yeah, that's that's sort of when I had that that feeling, I would say. Yeah, awesome. So let's talk about the properties that you purchased then. Obviously, we mentioned earlier you worked with Dashot to purchase both of those both of those yes. properties. Yeah. When did you when did you buy the first one? When, did, when yeah, when did you buy the first one? Sort of about a year ago from now. So around Feb last year. Okay, last year. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. And it's had like the returns on that have been darn good. I mean, the numbers I've got, which I think are a little old now, and in fact, they might be a little bit better than this. The numbers I've got uh, show that you got a 75% return on invested capital on that first property in, well, what I've got is in eight months, so they're probably a few months old, those numbers there. Are you, did, yeah. do you know those numbers? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I don't uh, have a track of the updated ones, but um, yeah, from a little while back, it was it was great. And I think the, the best thing about, well, one of the um, best things about that first property was that uh, we were able to secure, like Dashell was able to help me secure it under um, 10K under market value. And I remember at the time I was doing my own due diligence. Obviously, I'm not a local valuer in WA, but 
Uh, I was losing the resources at my disposal and I was like, okay, that's confirmed. That's 10 grand right there. That's equity without even doing anything. You're just purchasing the property and it's already helping you move towards the next one. So yeah, that that was great. And at the time, obviously rates were a lot lower, so the yield was a bit better, but it's still performing great in my opinion. And I'm yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where it's at. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that, right? Because with your perspective as a valuer, how do you, how have you how have you viewed this? Like how how did you view the purchase price and valuation, which you talked about, and then also, you know, the numbers that I've got was basically you got about um, and again I think these are a couple of months old, so we probably need to get some updated numbers, but they're pretty bloody good anyway, right? So in about eight months, you had about fourteen point three two percent growth. So you're naturally skeptical. You're going to be questioning the numbers. You're going to be doing your own due diligence and knowing if that's true. And so, how did you feel when you when you got those numbers? How did that make you feel? First, first it was great, but obviously skeptical as well. I was like, okay, I better just double check these <laughs> and see what's going on here. It was great. Yeah, it was. I mean, the analytics and that sort of thing. Going back to where I was before I made that decision to work with you guys to purchase the first one, I was definitely to me that was a risk taking taking that because I I never heard of purchasing in state before, and so that was a big reservation I had, and so. Actually seeing now the results coming through and coming to fruition, definitely pretty cool. And like you said, uh, of course, I'm going to always do my due diligence and I can say, yeah, it's it's performing well. Like the growth is there, despite obviously what projected around Australia through media is obviously the negative, like uh, uh, market's going down, like property prices are going down, your value's going down. That's a very, well, from my perspective, even as a valuer and an investor, that's just based on an average and that's what they tend to focus on of course not the case in every area though you really got to look it's area dependent and so it's great mm. to so see there, of course there's 15,264 towns and suburbs in australia it's totally false to say the australian market is crashing because yeah. this property the first property you bought you bought roughly when the property market downturn in inverted commas started roughly and then eight months into the property market downturn you've you got you got nearly 15% growth <laughs> yeah. on your property, right? So, you know, it's pretty ridiculous. You mentioned you bought the next one about eight months later, thereabouts, roughly? Yeah, so it was, it was, yeah, it was probably, if we go from when I actually purchased it, that was probably settlement. So it was probably six months apart, really. It's around August Yeah, year. I was going to say probably about six months apart, my, my looks at from, look, from yep. the numbers I'm looking at. So did you ever think you were going to be able to buy properties that fast, buy one and buy another one six months later? Uh, to be fair, no, I don't. Like if you asked me a couple of years back, no. No chance. I was like, okay, uh, I'm just trying to secure one at this point, right? But I guess maybe my mind shift changed a little bit after I, you know, spoke to a broker and I found, you know, found out what my borrowing power was. And when I purchased the first one, I'd known that I hadn't used utilized all of it, and so there was still a little bit left on the table. So I did know it was a bit of a possibility, but then obviously some of the changes in the market were starting to happen. A bit skeptical interest rates started going up and i was like oh i don't know so yeah i guess oh, i wasn't really expecting to buy that second one so soon in reality yeah totally and it's performed pretty well as well though so you've got um you got about a 28.5 percent return on invested capital on that one in like less than three months yeah. which basically means that between those two properties which you brought broadly speaking less we can say that you bought those two properties into like over like in the last 12 months you bought those two properties right yeah and since you kind of started buying them and until now, so in twelve months you bought two properties and got about one hundred and four points, one hundred and four point one percent return on invested capital in twelve months with two properties at twenty five years old. 
does it make you feel? Good. <laughs> well, I was going to say about it, surprised is what I would say, though. Because um, as I mentioned, definitely had some reservations going into the first one. And then now down the track, it's a it's a whole different perspective. But I'm liking where things are at, S- setting up a good foundation, obviously keen to continue expanding the portfolio. Yeah, cool. And so what's next for you then? Like, are you going to continue to try and grow your property portfolio fast? Or are you kind of like... You know, what What does that kind of look like over the next couple of years for you? Yeah, I mean, at this point now, maybe I'm, I'm a bit in two minds about it, I would say, as of very recently, so that may change. Yeah, it was obviously looking towards the next purchase. Rates are a bit high, so I know my borrowing power is probably not going to be great, but I'll probably reassess it later in the year anyway, get some full vowels done, just see how the properties are performing. And then, yeah, probably look towards the next one. But also at the same time, I'm pretty keen to to travel so i don't know we'll see yeah fair enough where do you we'll plan see. on traveling to uh well i had a bit of a wild um interest in going to antarctica um but obviously that's quite costly so um we'll see um we'll see what happens nice and what advice would you have for someone who is where you were when you were kind of like 20, 24, yeah, 24, when you got, when you, when you just picked up a, lot, a bit about it, so, because like that initial friction point is really interesting, right? Because you're someone, again, just like your nature is that you are going to question a lot of stuff. And so you probably had a little bit of analysis paralysis uh, around like, how do I get, how do I get going? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. Don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Um, but you, you then took that leap and then all, bang, suddenly went really fast and got a massive return really quickly. And it's completely shifted your perspective on your future. And you're now on the other side of the biggest hurdle. You know, the biggest hurdle is going from zero to one, right? And then, and getting that to happen. So what advice would you have to someone who's kind of like out there, who's in that position, uh, either about trying to trying to rationalize themselves into like making the commitment to invest, or in fact, potentially someone who's bought a property before, but has maybe that didn't go well for them and they're going oh look what do i do now and, and they're in that same it's effectively the same state and they're trying to work yeah. out how to move forward what advice would you have to someone someone in those situations uh i guess the main thing well from my experience was just um talking to the right people as i guess surrounding yourself with a, a good team uh obviously no matter what your profession is um or what your career is based on you're not going to be an expert at everything so that's the hardest thing. Obviously, in your own time, you're, you're probably trying to do the research like I was. And I was like, oh, should I buy a PPR? Should I do this? Should I do that? And I think it's just best to speak to relevant professionals in all fields. And that that's, yeah, that's what my advice would be. Um, obviously, my advice from before still stands about if you have the option. I know a lot of people don't, but if you have the option to stay with family, do that so you can increase your savings rate. But yeah, when it comes to actually buckling down, if you've got capital and you're not sure what to do with it, or you purchased, you know, an off-plan apartment which is not really performing, something like that, maybe speak to, you know, obviously someone like you, know, you guys there at Dashdot Buyers Agent. Speak to your broker because, or um, find a broker if you can if you're dealing directly with the bank because that can open up so many doors you didn't know were even possible. Um, with so many different lenders out there, it really does change your options. So. Yeah, I would say look into that. And then the other one is definitely structuring. Like, if, especially if you haven't gone into it at the start, buying in your personal name or buying in a trust, it's something to really, really think about carefully before you make that first move. So, yeah, speak to a relevant financial professional accountant. 
as such. Makes sense. Makes sense. And final question, what do you want to be remembered for? When you finally have achieved all the things you want to achieve and you and you manage to leave a legacy on the world, what do you want what do you want to be remembered for? I guess there's a, I mean there's a couple of things. The reason why I've started my investment journey is to create generational wealth for my family so that at least I can do everything I can to hopefully give them a comfortable life or as comfortable as possible. From a family standpoint, it's to show that I really cared and loved for them and have left an imprint on that. And then on the other side of things is just in general, do what I can, regardless of whatever that is in my career, to just be as good of a person as I can be to everyone else in the world. Love that. Ash, I really enjoyed this conversation. I really enjoyed this episode. You got some great results in your portfolio. Super exciting to see you. Absolutely crushing it. And I just want to say thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Goose. Appreciate it. Cool. See you soon. Bye. Bye.